become the electronic nerve center for you, you sir, to take advantage of these new developments for more effective decisions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dan's Secure UI with Dan, where we uh, read different papers about writing secure interfaces for computer applications and uh, discuss them in real time. Um, one way to think of it is uh, me, Dan Finlay, in conversation with a piece of paper. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at an introduction to pet name systems by Mark Stiegler. In this one, we'll be reading our second paper by Mark Stiegler. Uh, and he's going to be talking about some ideas that were shared by Zuko Wilcox on a uh, some kind of uh, forum or email list out there where he, he shared some observations about name systems around the internet. And specifically, he's thinking about name systems in an increasingly decentralized context. What does it mean to have uh, safe names or names you can rely on or or global names or memorable names uh, in in a internet where there's fewer and fewer permissions and anyone can say anything and you, nobody knows you're a dog on the internet. So we're going to be digging into that. Uh, the last episode, I really kind of went easy peasy and commentated aggressively um, and then uh, was so self-conscious about it. I took an extra few days to publish. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit tighter to the script. I haven't gotten much uh, feedback on the last one yet because I just published it, but um, I'm going to try to keep this one under an hour. The last two have both gone over an hour. I'm going to try to keep this under an hour, kind of stick to the script. If I have a lot of commentary to provide, I'm going to try to keep the majority of it for the end of the episode so I can cut myself short and stick to the rest of my schedule. Um, cool. So uh, please come along with me into an introduction to pet name systems by Mark Stiegler. Zuko's triangle argues that names cannot be global, secure, and memorable all at the same time. Domain names are an example. They're global and memorable, but as the rapid rise of phishing demonstrates, they are not secure. Though no single name can have all three properties, the pet name system does indeed embody all three properties. Informal experiments with pet name-like systems suggest that pet names can be both intuitive and effective. Experimental implementations already exist for simple extensions to existing browsers that could alleviate, possibly dramatically, the problems with phishing. As phishers gain sophistication, it seems compelling to experiment with pet name systems as part of the solution. A basic pet name layout. Below we have Zuko's triangle overlaid with the pet name system. Uh, in it, we've got a triangle with uh, the corners labeled global, memorable, and securely unique. And as the lines connecting uh, global and securely unique, we have keys. Connecting global and memorable, we have nicknames. And as connecting securely unique and memorable, we have pet names. That's the uh, that's the thing that Zuko is introducing here. Um, so let's or I'll just describe those. Uh, you know, not everyone's going to be looking at the screen. Okay, so global and securely unique, they're saying are keys. What's a key? It's like when your computer generates a really long random number. Of course, we can say that's global because we can have such a long number that it's like statistically, practically impossible that anybody else came up with it, right? So it's securely unique. But what's the corner it doesn't have? Memorable. A cryptographic key or a public key, it's just not memorable. So it, 
it's not very useful if you just want to like refer to somebody's key from memory, right? So what's global and memorable? A nickname, it says. But what's, what is he claiming a nickname doesn't have that's securely unique? Um, that's kind of interesting. Um, I wonder if he would say that a domain name is a nickname, right? You say Google is, uh, that's global and that's memorable. Is it securely unique? I think he might be saying that, well, there are a lot of variations of Google, like you can have a one instead of an L, or you could have three O's in some variation, or you could have google.net. And these are all variations where it's global and memorable indeed, but it's not quite securely unique and it is possible to mistype and it is possible to be deceived into thinking that you're interacting with the thing you're interacting with when you're not. Okay, so, and then connecting securely unique and memorable, we've got pet names, but he notes they're not global. Uh, it's interesting in the intro, he says it embodies properties of all three. Um, and I, we'll see in a minute how pet names associate with the global, even though they are effectively a securely unique but a memorable local name. Um, all right, so for the purposes of this document, we actually use an alternate rendering of the key points of Zuko's triangle. Ah, this is not Zuko's triangle as originally published. Uh, please note, I, I chose this article. I actually think this one's a little bit easier to learn uh, the concept from. Uh, and I like the reading of this one is why I'm sharing it. Uh, the points of the triangle here are memorable, this means that a human being has a chance of remembering the name. Memorable names pass the moving bus test. If you see the name on the side of a bus as it drives past you, you should be able to remember the name long enough to use it when you get home. So advertising could work, let's say. Uh, global. This means that the name is publicly available. And indeed, the entity to whom the name is attached is eager to give it to you. A key goal of marketing and advertising is to capture memorable names in such a fashion that the memorable name is globally locked to a particular entity. And lastly, securely unique. This means that the name cannot be forged or mimicked. A name can be forged if one can manufacture an exact duplicate of the name such that neither man nor machine can tell the difference. A name can be mimicked if one uh, can make a name similar enough to fool the human being. In general, phishing depends on mimicry, not forgery. This difference becomes crucial later in the discussion. Each name set uh, consists of three elements. A key that's global and securely unique, but not necessarily memorable. A nickname that's global and memorable, but not at all unique. And a pet name that is securely unique and memorable, but private, not global. Keys lie at the heart of the security properties of the pet name system. Nicknames and pet names exists to make it easy for human beings to manipulate keys. The security of the system can be no stronger than the unforgeability of the keys. Self-authenticating public-private key pairs make excellent keys since they have strong unforgeability properties. But there are other ways of achieving unforgeability. A trusted path can also work well as the key. A full path name to a file on a specific computer is also unforgeable, or at least as unforgeable as the designation of the specific computer, which can be quite strong in some cases. Um, although if you're designating a computer in, in a modern context, you're usually going to be designating it by URL, which is usually a, an, a domain name assigned by DNS. And so now we're introducing a name system into the designation again. Um, but on a local network, say, uh, you might have well, on a local network, we still have kind of self-attested names. What happens when two computers on a network declare the same name? I think you get a, a warning usually. Right? It has to vary system to system, right? Um, all right. It does not make any difference in a pet name system whether a key can be mimicked. 
keys are handled handled only by the computer. The human being handles uh, the keys only indirectly via pet names. For a particular person, for a particular application, there's a one-to-one -one mapping between a key and a pet name. Um, so if you know anything about me, uh, you know I work on a crypto wallet and you bet we use keys all the time. And you know the first version of our wallet, you bet uses addresses, which are keys for, th for the user. And uh, people do handle keys. They can copy them and they can paste them and share them. But yeah, they suffer from uh, failure of memorability. So we've introduced a bit of an address book feature. And address book has some of the properties of a pet name system. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Uh, nicknames can be used to assist in the discovery of keys and for help in selecting a pet name. Nicknames are chosen by the owners of keys in hopes of creating a distinctive, if not unique, mapping from the memorable nickname to the key. Such nicknames are often promulgated throughout the world in the hopes of making the nickname stick in the mind as a reference to the key. Since there are strong incentives to take ownership of a nickname, even though true ownership is not possible, nicknames are the most often misunderstood part of a pet name system. Um, a, a term that I sometimes have taken to uh, calling this concept is a proposed name. What he's talking about is a name that uh, the owner of a key proposes for themselves. Um, when somebody says, hey, this is what I'm called, uh, you know, this we see this in uh, Ethereum where tokens are have self-declared names. And so we end up in situations where people have to, they'll encounter a new token and, you know, we have to provide ways to add a token to the wallet. And so the wallet, the, the application will say, hey, do you want to add this token to your wallet? And the token will have a proposed name. And it's up to the user to agree or not whether or not they acknowledge this new token by that proposed name. Um, in MetaMask today, we don't let the user then nickname the currency. Um, well, actually, we do in the custom name field. But uh, anyways, kind of aside the point, um, I'm just emphasizing the distinction. Another way to think of a proposed name versus a pet name is when you bookmark a site on your browser, um, the title of the site is used as the initial uh, proposed default bookmark name. Uh, this is using the title tag and the HTML, but the you can always then uh, over overwrite that and give your own name. You're like, oh, I, I'm not going to call this introduction to pet name systems. I'm just going to call this pet names by Stiegler or something. Um, so a bookmark system has a lot in common with a pet name system. Um, but I think there are some reasons that uh, Stiegler feels they're not, and he'll talk about that in a little bit. In the simple case, a nickname has a one-to-many mapping to keys. The name John Smith is obviously a nickname. There are many John Smiths. Other nicknames produce the illusion of being globally unique. The name Mark Stiegler appears to be globally unique at the time of this writing, but there's no security property in this accident of global uniqueness. The uniqueness of the name Mark Stiegler would change quite quickly if, through the mysterious forces of human whimsy, the name suddenly became desirable. <laughs> um, sometimes the desirability of a nickname is not whimsical, but venal. It is already desirable for some applications to call themselves Quicken, for example, and draw windows that request a Quicken password. Ah, fishers. So in a computer context, uh, you know, the whimsy isn't, isn't uh, the biggest uh, problem that we face. Although that can be a real problem when you encounter two people with the same name, but also we have people that are actively trying to impersonate things that are valuable. So how do we label things that you want to trust or maybe you don't know, or you know, 
how do you establish that initial naming for something, right? It's a really important question. Pet names are our private bi-directional reference to keys. There are many Mark Millers, but there's one specific Mark Miller that the name means to me, the Mark Miller who works with object capabilities for secure cooperation. Mark Miller is Mark Miller's nickname. It also happens to be my pet name for the same individual. My private pet name for my wife is not recognizably similar to the public nickname used by my wife. In the computer setting for a specific person with a specific application, pet names are unique. Each pet name refers to exactly one key and each key is represented by exactly one pet name. In all places in the application where the app wants to designate the key, the pet name is displayed, which is to say, a true pet name is a bi-directional one-to-one mapping to a key. All references to the key by the user interface are represented by pet name. A key cannot have two pet names. If a single key had two pet names, under what circumstance would the user interface use pet name one as the representation of the key and under what circumstances would it bring up pet name two, right? I mean, I guess you could have a list of names or something. It would get cluttered pretty fast. More detail and interactions. A good example of a nickname management system is Google. Type in a name and Google will return a list that includes all of the entities Google knows to which that name refers. Google makes a mapping between these nicknames and their keys. If we think of the URL of a page as a trusted path style key, which will be discussed later. Often enough to be interesting, the first item in the list will be the one you wanted, but it fails often enough and endless pages of other choices often appear uh, to never leave us in doubt that these identifiers are not unique mappings to a single key. As is already true in the current world, in a world filled with pet name systems, a key goal of marketing would be to get your nickname listed at the top of the Google rankings for that nickname. A single key may map to multiple nicknames. The entity that comes up first in a Google search for Mark Stiegler is an entity who proposes the nickname Marks for himself in many forums. However, to assess the security properties of a pet name system, this is irrelevant. Nicknames are conveniences that may serve as good starting points for pet names. If I send you my key and my nickname, often my nickname, which I normally will have chosen to be reasonably rare in the world, will work great as your pet name. But do not confuse the nickname as proposal with the pet name as decided. Never in a true pet name system is the nickname presented or employed as if it were a pet name. Alleged names are similar enough to nicknames to be worth distinguishing. Oh, I may have made this mistake earlier. An alleged name is the name for an entity proposed by a third party, typically in an introduction. Ah, this is also uh, this also can be useful as a starting place for picking a pet name. Alleged names, like nicknames, are usually memorable, often global, and never securely unique. Alleged names are often based on nicknames, though this is unreliable enough. If one really cares about the nickname, then one really needs to ask the entity holding the key, not the introducer. Oh, huh. Um, that's a very interesting uh, distinction. Um, so, okay, so for one thing, there's like a saying that you don't get to pick your own nickname. Um, but here, Stiegler's definition of nickname is something that a person chooses for themselves. So putting that aside, um, he's then making a really strong distinction between an alleged name and a nickname where he's insisting that only the true holder of a key ever be trusted with a name that might inform your pet name for that thing. Um, I'm not sure I agree with him on this point. Um, 
you know, you go ahead and interrogate your own opinions on this. But uh, my, my thought is, if somebody is making a claim of the name of a key, then either you trust that person and acknowledge that or, or provide your own name for that key, or you don't trust that person and, you know, disregard the whole thing. But whether or not I tell you that my own key is called this, or I tell you that somebody else's key is called that, uh, it's almost, I mean, it's a little hard for me coming from a decentralized crypto background. There's a very fine line between somebody claiming something about their own key and about somebody else's key. I mean, nobody is a key, right? Uh, keys are numbers and we're proposing names for those numbers. Um, so I, I think that this may be a distinction that could exist in some computer systems, but maybe don't exist in the kinds of computer systems I'm building. Anyways, I digress. In action, keys and alleged names tend to be transferred together. We refer henceforth to such key slash alleged name pairs as referrals. Ah, a referral of a name and a proposed name uh, and a key. Uh, it is crucial not to confuse private pet names with global nicknames that temporarily happen to have a unique mapping to a key. Experience to date suggests that the word pet name is attractive, leading people to desire to use it. People can then easily fall into the trap of referring to momentary, momentarily unique nicknames as pet names. This error then leads them inevitably uh, to draw fatally confused conclusions about the possibility of pet names with global meaning. The security properties of a pet name come from its privacy. Public nicknames are trivially vulnerable to both forgery and mimicry. They have no security properties. Pet names are guessable. Most people will accept PayPal's nickname as the pet name. This can only impact the security of the system if the user interface distinguishes the pet names from the nicknames so poorly that the user gets confused. The term pet name suggests that the name is embodied as text. This is not necessary. Pet names can be graphical as well. Indeed, some of the pet name systems listed later use pet names that include both pet texts and pet graphics. I know my messages app on iOS lets me assign uh, contact pictures to people that then appear when I'm interacting with them. The address book and the contact picture in the phone serves as a sort of pet name registry and it includes pet graphics. Pet names must be repeatedly editable, editable by the human being so that the set of pet names can evolve as the user's set of associations grow. You might use the pet name Mark Miller for the one and only Mark Miller that you know. But then if you meet another Mark Miller, you will have to distinguish possibly by editing the first one. The single entry Mark Miller may now split into Mark Miller, Mark Miller Capability Guru and Mark Miller Dentist. Pet names convey power. Since the pet name is the user representation of the key, it is through the pet name that the human being uses the key, communicates with the key owner, and conveys authority to the key owner based on the user's purposeful trust relationship with that owner. Purposeful trust is the type of trust needed to engage in action. I trust, i.e. I'm willing to be vulnerable to entity X to hold N number of dollars on my behalf and to engage in transfers of that money based on orders I give. Look at that, him talking about delegated allowances. It's like, again, pointing basically directly at the principle of social collateral, but not using it by that name. Um, real common threads between the OCAP world and, and that one. Another way of thinking about the relationship between a key and a pet name is this. The key is used to authenticate the, enti the entity that owns the key. 
The pet name is used as a handle upon which to hang the trust, reliance, or vulnerability data used by the human being to make authorization decisions for that entity. If the entity represented by a pet name, my phone company, asks for my credit card, if the justification sounds reasonable, I will release it. If the entity represented by the pet name Deadbeat Brother, whom I nonetheless trust to teach my daughter soccer in the afternoon without supervision, the trust relationship with such a brother is neither positive nor negative. It is complex. If they ask for my credit card, I will not release it, no matter what justification. I love, I love that uh, <laughs> kind of color text that uh, Marcus has given us there. The security of a pet name system depends on the keys to prevent forgery and the pet names to prevent mimicry. Ah, the keys are the security. They prevent the forgery of the user. And the pet names prevent the mimicry because they're shown to the, the authorizer, the, the other parties interacting with the person to prevent being mimicked to them. So mimicry has to do with people making subjective decisions based on another entity and forgery is about uh, the kind of computer enforced authorization decisions. Pet names in action. Uh, informal experimentation suggests that a pet name system is much easier to use than to explain. See examples below. We will create a single example for this introduction and give some hint as to the wide diversity of variations in the examples. Suppose I send you Mark Miller's open PGP pub key in an email. I say, here's Mark Miller's pub key. I sent you both a key and an alleged name, Mark Miller. Implicit in this transmission of the alleged name is the proposal that you might want to consider Mark Miller as the pet name. What you actually choose as a pet name depends entirely on your context. If you know this particular Mark Miller in other contexts in other applications as Markham, you might choose Markham as the name referring to this key in your list of pub keys. If you think this might be the same Mark Miller, but are not willing to be vulnerable to me as the sole source of such a powerful mapping, you might use the pet name Mark Stiegler's Mark Miller or Mark Stiegler's Markham. If you perform appropriate incantations on the pub key, you can get the entity's nickname. If this pub key already exists in your list, your software shouldn't give you the choice of adding it. The software should tell you, you already have this one and tell you the current pet name and perhaps bring up the pet name editor so you can change the pet name if the newly received reference suggests a better name. If you receive a message signed with a private key for the Markham pet names pub key, the software should display the pet name Markham if you send a message to Mark Miller, you should pick the encryption key based on the pet name. The above example has the security properties of a pet name system, but open PGP systems often do not demonstrate the usability properties of a pet name system. Instant messaging systems with buddy lists demonstrate the usability properties, but for reasons beyond the understanding of this author, discard all the security properties. See the examples section for more details on buddy lists as pet name systems. Hmm. Um, yeah, a fun little extra thing about that last section is that he's using email as a way of carrying and transmitting uh, the, the pet name idea. And per our last episode, we were talking about how Stiegler was kind of making the case that email has been the catch-all protocol for the web to emerge on. And this is a perfect example. It's very common to do an introduction and say, hey, this is somebody's name. Uh, you know, this is their email address. Uh, it, you know. Hi, I'm introducing you, right? Doing introductions on email is so, so common, um, but there are some kinds of cryptographic interactions where just vouching for somebody's name can be kind of automated and it could exist in other transports other than email, conversation threads and things like that. Key issues with pet name systems. 
two elements of full-fledged pet name systems seem to be principal sources of controversy. One is, how do I get the keys transferred around the system? The other is, how easily can Darth Vader mimic a pet name? Transferring keys and purposeful trust. Transferring keys around the universe is easy. For example, plaster the keys on all the websites in the world so that'll let you do so. The hard part is transferring a key with an association to purposeful trust. It is useless to both PayPal and the Fisher and uh, who wants your PayPal account if you just know PayPal's key. You have to be willing to make yourself vulnerable to the entity who owns the key to hold your credit card, trusting him to engage in or them to engage in only transfers that you specify. The question, how do I transfer a purposeful trust association is hard to answer because there's no sing simple single answer. Instead, there are a vast array of answers, each of which works in narrow circumstances. The question is made even more difficult to answer because the mechanisms by which humans determine an appropriate purposeful trust to be associated with an entity is subtle, complex, powerful, and completely subconscious. Well, not completely, maybe. I don't know. The, the question of how you transfer the association can easily slide into a hopeless discussion of how to create purposeful trust in the first place. Here, we outline some general ideas for transferring key and purposeful trust mappings, and then in the examples, point out some practical approaches in specific narrow contexts. That's right. We're not going to talk about how to build trust with people. We're just going to talk about how to build secure systems that leverage it. That's, I think, a very reasonable design constraint for a secure UI designer. Oh, although, hey, I, I am all for There's a much bigger and additional and interesting space, right, for how do you uh, how do you build trust, right? Not today. Um, answers often start with direct physical contact. You get a combination of a nickname and a key and a file from your best friend who says, this Google thing's a great search engine, or this consumer report site will not lead you astray. You stick these referrals in your browser, assign them pet names, and make yourself vulnerable to them for the purposes stated because your friend said so. I love that he keeps saying, make yourself vulnerable to them, right? This trust as vulnerability, trust as risk, as the, uh, the article by Open Bazaar says. Um, then when the side of the bus says PayPal, you might go and see what Google thinks PayPal means. Since the relationship with PayPal is a serious vulnerability decision, serious enough so that we're not going to jump at the first site just because Google says so, we'll ask a few of our friends to email referrals to the entities they use for online money, if we're really diligent. If the referrals they send all share the same key as the Google key, which is easy to tell because we're trying to add each new key slash pet name mapping, uh, each time we try to add it, it'll, it will produce the alert that the key matches something you've already got. The quality of your willingness to be vulnerable to the key you have pet names, PayPal, improves. This is pretty similar to how we all started using PayPal, even without the pet name system. We jumped in when enough of our friends and organizations that we trust for recommendations about financial matters concurred. Or uh, for me, it was when eBay endorsed it. Um, the only difference in the pet name version of the story is that our friends explicitly gave us referrals rather than easily mimicked domain names. And we explicitly set a pet name, perhaps just by clicking an accept key when the alleged name was proposed as the pet name. While a full-fledged purebred pet name system could in principle supplant the entire DNS system, we have DNS now and we can use it to do some bootstrapping. My ability to type google.com and paypal.com is probably adequate to get started. Regardless of how you bootstrap, you can get referrals by email, thumb drive, web chat, web page chat, and even by telephone. Converting from nickname to pet name. 
The other part of the system that is impossible to quantify is the mimicability of pet names. Let us assume a poorly built pet name system in the clutches of a clueless user. We have a money transfer site on the web that we have na pet named PayPal. We get an email telling us to update our PayPal account. We click the link, we go to a domain that has given itself the nickname PayPal1. For those with you with the typically broken fonts, that's a, the last character is a one, not an L. Our poorly built hypothetical pet name system is so poorly built, the nickname is put into the field wherever the pet names go. With the hint of shading or some other easy to miss nod to mark the fact that this is the website's nickname for itself, not our pet name for it, the distinction is missed and our user is fished. The solutions to this problem are application and context specific, though there are some good ideas floating around that seem to have wide applicability. In the Waterken pet name toolbar proposal below, the alleged pet name is always untrusted. It's hard to fail to recognize that this isn't PayPal, uh, though a sufficiently unobservant user might completely disregard the pet name and nickname information and get fished anyway. There's limited informal evidence that users really do notice things like this. And so the most cynical of skeptics are probably mostly wrong, though they are uh, probably slightly right. If you send a million phishing emails to each of a million users, someday someone will be tired and unobservant and will get fished. If sending a trillion emails like this is cheap enough, phishing will remain profitable. So part of the solution needs to be making a trillion emails ever so slightly expensive. Regardless, multiple experiments with multiple user interfaces would be a good idea to help develop user interfaces that maximize the probability that a tired, unobservant users will notice a warning. Yeah, so in, in MetaMask for a long time, we actually just wouldn't render um, any uh, self-proposed name. And the closest thing we have today is the ENS reverse resolution. ENS is the Ethereum name system, a, a sort of a blockchain-based uh, alternative to DNS where people can pay to register names. And when somebody has purchased one of these names, they can reverse resolve it, kind of um, nicknaming their own account. And so when uh, a cryptocurrency wallet uh, tries to send to, or let's say receives from a account that has an ENS name, they will see the self-assigned self ENS name. And that becomes an opportunity to do similar things. Um, the problem is you might have a friend that you know by one name and a proposed ENS name can look incredibly similar and have like high mimicry potential. Um, one of the ways that we alleviate this is by, uh, well, if there are characters that are easily confusable, we actually show an extra warning to highlight confusable characters. And this adds a lot of extra friction to ENS users, but it's more than let's say a browser does. Um, but that's because we uh, deal exclusively with valuable interactions, uh, unlike a browser where I, I guess at least in some situations, you can get away with uh, not flagging slightly suspicious behavior. Um, but yeah, how, how should you distinguish a self-attested name from a name that a user added to their address book. A user may friend someone with an ENS name and they may prefer that ENS name as their pet name for the user. But what are you doing in your interface to distinguish a, a friended, uh, self-acknowledged name from just a regular old reverse resolved name is I, I think an underexplored problem, at least in the uh, cryptocurrency blockchain space where oftentimes a nickname or, you know, a, a domain name or ENS name is treated as like, oh, good enough. Like, hey, cool, it's 
at least it looks good, right? But I don't think it's always getting assessed from the kind of security perspective where actually phishing is a kind of critical risk that's ever present. And uh, we should try to make our systems resilient to that. And part of what we can do is not be over, <laughs> over eager to show names that we haven't actually retrieved from a secure source. And unfortunately that that does include self-attested, you know, decentralized uh, name registered names, um, unless they have sufficient warning. But again, exercise to the reader: what is sufficient warning uh, when we're talking about um, what, what we're calling uh, nicknames in this article, uh, or a self self-claimed name? There are a couple of user interface issues. The pet names must be unambiguously distinct from nicknames. This seems easy to do through colors, fonts, additional text, and separate fields for the nickname as examples of pieces of strategy. More difficult is the following problem. Pet name creation must be both painless, or people will reject the whole idea, and reliably mimicry-free. It would be a disaster to have both PayPal and PayPal1 as pet names. Is this one of those hopeless trade-offs that the computer security community enjoys throwing in its own face? To the author, this problem looks solvable. Indeed, it looks hard to believe that this cannot be solved with some reasonable satisfaction given the number of user interface ideas for this problem floating around. But implementations and experiments will be required to identify minimally intrusive, adequately effective solutions. Hashtag only good design can test this theory. Can we adequately distinguish visually in a painless way a self-proclaimed name from a user-selected, purposefully trusted uh, pet name? Here are two example ideas for pet name creation user interfaces that seem generally applicable. First is to compose the default choice for the pet name out of a combination of contextual information and nickname information. Suppose we click on a link to PayPal in the Consumer Reports site, that is the site that we have assigned the nickname Consumer Reports. This takes us to a new site that proposes the nickname PayPal. The system clearly marks that we do not have a pet name for this site and proposes Consumer Reports as PayPal. The user can press a button to accept this name, edit it, or with algorithmic chicanery left as an exercise to the reader, press a second button that says, let me use the raw nickname PayPal as the pet name. This system still depends on the user remembering the pet names he's already assigned, they have already assigned, and noticing at the time of creation of the new pet name, whether they already have a similar name in their list. This by itself is probably enough to protect the PayPal pet name. Most of us who give PayPal a pet name would have no trouble remembering we'd done so. And if we saw something that looked like PayPal, we'd notice we were at risk of confusing ourselves if we accepted a similar name. But again, we're dealing with humans, so the process is imperfect. To support the human being, we'd want to use a font that was as, in, un, was as ambiguous as possible during pet name creation, mixing up one and L and capital I in a hopeless mess so that we could be confident that our pet names looked unique no matter what ridiculous font got used later. Oh, interesting. So he's suggesting deliberately using a confusable font just to help force the user to pick really, really unique uh, pet names. That's, a, that's an interesting take uh, noted. The second idea is to have a weak algorithm for comparing a candidate pet name in the act of being accepted to the existing pet names. We explicitly call this a weak algorithm because it can be pretty poor. It is quite acceptable for the algorithm to pop a list of similar pet names that is overly extensive, i.e. it is fine to show names that the human easily recognizes as distinct. 
The serious error is to fail to show names that the human might confuse. Comparing PayPal to PayPal One, a sample algorithm might notice that the names are of similar length and have three letters in common, P, A, and Y, and say, that's similar enough to worry me, I'm gonna check with the boss. The algorithm for noticing similarity between private pet names is under much less pressure to be perfect than the algorithm for a certificate authority when deciding whether to award the name PayPal when the name PayPal already exists. A certificate authority might like to prevent mimicry, but to do so must tread a difficult line with abolishing huge swaths of namespace to ensure similarities don't arise. However it's done, mixing alphabets from different languages into a single pet name list is ridiculous. These are private pet names. Only one person in the world needs to read them, use the user's default character set, and be done. Good answer. Examples. Uh, now, one, one kind of uh, weird quirk of that is in a decentralized name system like ENS, users can pick any character from all of UTF-8 from their proposed names. Um, and if we allow users to accept proposed names as pet names, well, then you've introduced all of the character sets. We could say, uh, and we do already warn when characters are coming from mixed character sets. Um, but yeah, uh, just another thing to be mindful of. Examples, near examples and comparisons. Physical world pet names. Humans have been using parts of pet name systems since before the invention of the written word. Human faces were used as keys. These keys resisted forgery far better than most things that pass for security today on computers, except in episodes of Mission Impossible and the occasional Shakespearean comedy like The Twelfth Night. The referral, Joe, this is my son Billy, he's great with the club, transferred both the key and alleged name pair and a first order purposeful trust recommendation. The recipient of this referral typically accepts the alleged name as a pet name, though in some cases the recipient may insist, may instead choose other pet names such as Bob's big dumb doofus of a son which is a strictly private pet name. These physical world pet name systems were sufficiently different from computer-based pet name systems in that it's dangerous to draw too many conclusions from them, but the similarities are sufficiently intriguing that the author feels compelled to mention them. More comprehensive comparison and contrasting of physical pet naming to computer-based pet naming is left as entertainment to the reader. Maybe should I, dare I try? I mean, introducing people, that's just like an obvious and common one. I almost think you don't need more examples. like. It's like, hey, this is this is my, my meet my dad. This is my friend. You know, like we do it all day, every day. We're constantly introducing people by name. And then, you know, in your notes or in your address book, you're logging that name, maybe with a variation and additional note so that you don't mix it up with all of your other names. Trademark law. Trademark law is not a pet name system. When civilization started creating entities that did not have unforgeable faces like Apple computer, we settled on a legal system that attempted with fair success to enforce, that is secure, purpose, unique, memorable global IDs for small numbers of entities. It's hard to map trademarks onto pet name systems for comparison, but an attempt seems in order. The trademark purpose pair is the key uh, made unforgeable by government coercion. It's important to note that the trademark itself is not the key. Apple Computer and Apple Music both used the trademark Apple for decades without conflict until Apple Computer entered the music business. The trademark by itself is the nickname. Apple Computer thinks of itself as Apple. Pet names are absent. Mimicry is prevented uh, by the same government action as forgery, and indeed the trademark system makes no distinction between forgery and mimicry, which helps explain why the distinction is so blurred in most computer security discussions. Trademark law depends on the legal system to disambiguate similar purpose. 
This is expensive and consequently, trademark law can only apply to small numbers of big entities. The name Mark Miller is covered by trademark law, but only in explicitly recognizing that all people who have that name may use it, i.e. trademark law recognizes non-uniqueness in this case. On the web, the number of entities with whom we would like to associate trust or vulnerability relationships is extremely large. Indeed, one of the failures of the web today is that we cannot construct as many such associations as we would like. Those relationships span multiple legal jurisdictions, further complicating the trademark system. Trademarking simply does not scale well enough to the age of the web despite its success for earlier eras. Instant messaging buddy lists. Buddy lists for instant messengers follow the logic of pet name systems quite closely, though all the security properties are discarded in current implementations. Each entity gets a globally unique ID rooted in the domain name of the messaging service, which fills the role of a key. A weak effort is made to make the, idea the ID both human memorable on the one hand and unforgeable on the other. The ID is used as a nickname, being sometimes memorable. It works well enough, often enough. The same ID is used as a key, even though it is easy to forge, either through a man-in-the-middle attack or password attacks. The important point is that once the user puts a pet name into the buddy list, all references to the ID represented using the pet name are represented using the pet name. You can connect to the entity using the pet name, and when the entity connects to you, the pet name displays. Buddy lists are so intuitive, people easily learn how to use them with neither instruction or documentation. An instant messenger that used true keys, true nicknames, and enforced good security properties would be virtually indistinguishable in user interface presentation from existing systems. Indeed, if one used an object capability style of key, the biggest difference would be the absence of password, uh, passwords and actual usability improvement. Informal experimentation on a global scale in the instant messaging arena suggests that a pet name architecture embodied in buddy lists can work well. CapDesk and Polaris. CapDesk and Polaris are desktop systems that explicitly flesh out a pet name system to enforce security properties. CapDesk is a point and click desktop that combines usability, security, and functionality to a degree often found surprising by those unfamiliar with it. In CapDesk, at application installation time, the application proposes a pet text and pet graphic, the icon for the top left corner, and the text in the title bar that is immediately adjacent. The user may accept this pet name or modify it. Windows launched, uh, th launched therefore by the installed application are unforgeably marked with the pet name. Limited informal experimentation suggested that the CapDesk pet name system was intuitive and easy to use like the buddy lists. Polaris is a derivative of CapDesk that defends the Windows operating system against several interesting classes of attack. Polaris uses a pet text similar to the CapDesk pet texts for marking the windows. Polaris was used in a larger set of pilot programs than CapDesk ever experienced. One result of the pilots that proved a pleasant surprise was that people were aware of and, and sensitive to the pet name markings. This supports the hope that pet names could indeed strongly impact phishing. Domain names. The DNS system is perhaps the most widely used naming architecture in the world. There are a couple of ways of viewing DNS from a pet name perspective. The most clarifying view is perhaps the view of the domain name as both key and nickname rolled into one a unique nickname that must try to support security properties. One powerful way to describe DNS is to say that DNS strives to make keys that are memorable. In other words, it is a direct violation of Zuko's triangle. And that is why mimicry is possible. Mimicry is an emergent property of the violation of Zuko's triangle. 
mimicry emerges as the system grows too large to scale. Uh, DNS is the leading example of the problem. Several of the other examples here treat the domain name as a trusted path key. Domain names are forgeable, but in practice, they seem to be resistant enough to forgery to be useful. Judging by the prevalence of mimicry-based phishing over DNS forgery, it seems clear that forgery is not the weakest link in DNS, mimicry is. And you can extend that into the uh, search, uh, search engine domain because search engines are themselves highly prone to recommending fishers uh, in response to search results. Uh, most of them are uh, you know, funded by advertising revenue. And so they actually are incentivized to provide uh, search results to whoever paid them. And so the problems with easily mimicked uh, domain names are exacerbated by the fact that most people don't even use domain names directly. They use a, a search service that uses uh, you know, paid uh, prioritization as their discovery mechanism. Browser bookmarks. Ah, now here's, I, I, I think this is a strong example. Uh, I forget what his criticism was. Browser bookmarks combined with DNS have a remarkable similarity to a pet name system with a fatal flaw. Think of the domain names as a, both a key and a nickname, which is not fatal to a pet name system. Remember, the nickname has no security properties. It can be gibberish or massively oversubscribed or mimics without violation, though the pet name system has a better chance of success if users understand that the nickname has no security properties, which is another problem with DNS. With this characterization, the bookmark can be thought of as a private name that points at the key suggested by the nickname. It sounds like a pet name system. However, the bookmark is not a pet name. Technically, it's a Lambda name. Oh, new term. As noted earlier, a true pet name is a two-way mapping. Any reference to the key is represented in the user's world as the pet name. However, Lambda names like bookmarks only map from the private name to the key with no mapping back. When you follow a bookmark to a page, or take any other path to get to the page, the domain name is used throughout the user interface as the name for the presentation to the user, a fundamental violation of pet name logic. Despite this violation, Bookmark plus DNS demonstrate how even a partial implementation of pet names will deliver some of the defenses against mimicry that a full pet name system can achieve. Any person who uses the strategy of reading an email allegedly from PayPal and then clicking on the existing bookmark to go to PayPal rather than following the email embedded link is getting a security benefit from the partial implementation of pet names afforded by bookmarks. I'm gonna take a, a brief moment to talk about challenges of providing pet names in the modern browser. Um, so I work on MetaMask, a browser extension that has its own internal pet name system. Um, now that might make you think, oh, well, okay, so, so we can let the user assign pet names to any address they encounter and we can show that, that pet name wherever that address is encountered within our own interface. But what if we wanted to be able to show that pet name when the user was about the web and where somebody else referred to that address? Now, being a browser extension, we obviously have the option of customizing websites that a user visits. However, because of the way that browsers are designed, there is no customization of a web page that we can perform that is not then prone to exfiltration i.e. if a website says a bunch of addresses and then we auto-complete them to the user's local pet names, that, that website could be running a script that then looks for those changes and then sends them back to a home server, thus learning your local pet names. Now, that might not be the most egregious uh, privacy violation in the world, 
but it also could be. It could mean a total leak of uh, privacy and knowing that people are usually gonna pick real names for pet names. It means that you could take what is otherwise a highly private and secure system and turn it into a kind of easily exfiltrated social graph. Um, I, I think that there's, you know, I'm, I'm all for decentralized social graphs, but I, I think that part of uh, decentralized identity has to be consent. And it's not consensual if you're losing uh, information that you have without, uh, without a conscious decision and a deliberate choice. All right, so that's a problem with the modern browser. Um, and uh, it's, it's an argument to have a new kind of browser, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we're not going to get out of that with the current browser scheme, although there are some, uh, some uh, kind of mad science schemes for confining HTML that might have some hope. Um, I'm not going to get into those right now. Open PGP and Web of Trust. Open PGP keys carry nicknames with them, and the user can replace nicknames with a name of the user's choosing, which would be a pet name. When an entity's key is observed by the software, the pet name is properly presented, i.e. the pet name is properly bidirectional. The web of trust supplies an interesting way to associate these keys with purposeful trust by asking other entities who have vouched for this new entity what they recommend as a trust relationship. With all these features, OpenPGP supplies a true pet name system architecture. OpenPGP has not been tested by phishing attacks yet. Um, since all the basic elements are there, the biggest question would be, how must the user interfaces for applications using OpenPGP evolve to face such a threat? This is another reminder that user interfaces are critical, is critical for any practical security architecture, as is the crypto. A security system whose user interface is written by cryptographers is no more likely to succeed than a security system whose encryption machinery is written by the user interface designers. That's a powerful line right there. Um, you know, uh, I think, and I think it speaks directly to, you know, he wrote this in 2005. I think it speaks directly to the eventual kind of lackluster success of the open PGP web of trust system. Open PGP may still be the, the most popular way of sending encrypted emails, but sending encrypted emails ain't very popular. And uh, it's very unfortunate that it hasn't been more so. Um, all right, I'm going to take a, a brief break. I have another meeting, and then I will uh, continue with the conclusion to introduction to pet name systems. All right, well, uh, coming back from my break here Res and resuming. Waterken Pet Name Toolbar. This toolbar, Waterken, is a proposal for web browsers explicitly based on pet name architecture, explicitly to prevent phishing. A certificate plus a domain name is treated as a key. The pet name is a true two-way mapping between a key and a private name. The alleged name for all sites is, quote, untrusted. There is no nickname. Uh, for those sites to which the user assigns a pet name, the toolbar supplies markings that make it easy for the user to unambiguously distinguish this site. This toolbar has been implemented for Firefox. This author switched to Firefox from Mozilla just to be able to use this tool back when Firefox wasn't part of Mozilla, I guess. Limited informal experimentation suggests that the pet name toolbar is as intuitive as the buddy lists and desktop systems described earlier. Certificate authorities. Certificate authorities create nickname key pairs. The certificates share the PGP keys, the cryptographic strength. Oh, sorry. The certificates share with PGP keys, the cryptographic strength to ensure unforgeability. The claim is made that because the nickname is unique within the certificate authority, 
interesting security properties may be ascribed to the nickname. Pet names are not included in this scheme. It looks a fair bit like DNS uh, with the certificate authority root playing the role of the DNS root servers. How do certificate authority based systems fare against mimicry? The similarity to DNS is certainly suspicious. A, general, a generous author might say, certificate authority defense against mimicry is controversial in theory and untested in practice. A less generous author would probably say no more since such an author would still desire people who think that certificate authorities are beneficial to read the rest of the paper. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm a little bit less um, uh, sensitive about that, I guess, than Siegler is. He might know more people who respect certificate authorities strongly. But I'll just give an example uh, of something that's hurt my confidence in certificate authorities. Um, we, every once in a while, you'll see another one of these attacks where somehow one of the uh, certificate authorities manages to sign a sub-signing certificate to somebody. And it, it seems like it, you know, I, I don't know how it happens, but as soon as a single delegation is signed that's malicious, that certificate authority power is pretty vast. And uh, so they're able to then sign these certificates for, uh, you know, lots of domains. And um, I don't know if it's by block or if it's carte blanche, but uh, yeah, my impression is that it's carte blanche because when it happens, it seems like uh, until it's recovered, it seems like SSL is just violated for, uh, you know, the target sites and the people who are man in the middle by uh, that attacker. Um, that's really scary. Why can one person, you know, just one bad delegation affect everybody? Seems like a really, seems like there's something a little wrong with that system then. Um, all right, continuing. Actually, one brief moment. I don't know if you could hear my fan, but I turned it down, not off. I know I'm not, I'm such a novice podcaster. I'm insisting on using my fan. All right, trust bar. Uh, feel free to let me know if the fan was untenable uh, and horribly noisy, but it's a warm day. Trust bar. The trust bar is a certificate authority-based browser system that allows user construction of pet names, including both pet text and pet graphics for the certified entity. In the 0.1 Mozilla implementation, the distinction between a nickname based on the certificate and the pet name is implied by the pop-up of a dialog box when the cert is first encountered and no pet name has yet been assigned. The pet name and the key are not quite fully bidirectional. The key is properly represented by the pet name in user interactions, but the pet name cannot be used to get the key. This is just a quibble, however. The trust bar implements a pet name system. It has, however, a big change from a simple pet name system, the inclusion of the certificate authority in the mix. Does this help or hinder? In the presence of the popular just click OK mantra for certificates, adding a certificate authority to the system may introduce new vulnerabilities. Two certificate authority based attack examples. We here at VeriSign are upgrading our root key. Please follow the link and click OK. Alternatively, quote, we here at PayPal have fallen into a legal dispute with Entrust. We are using a new certificate authority that is every bit as trustworthy. Please follow the link and click OK. Brief informal experimentation with the author's 83-year-old mother-in-law suggests that an email asserting that PayPal has changed domain names is easily recognized as an attack. However, an email asserting that a certificate has changed is viewed as a foolish demand impeding progress. Just click OK. As noted earlier, user interface design is every bit as important to security as the strength of the keys. 
simply stripping the trust bar tool of the inevitable plethora of certificate authority related dialogue boxes would significantly improve usability, increasing the chances that real human beings would tolerate it. All the security properties of a pet name system without certificate authorities would remain intact. The trust bar itself pops dialogues at the user, sometimes several in a row. If the entity maintaining a website decides to use different certificates uh, for different pages, as discovered during the author's experiments. Private correspondence with the designers of the trust bar suggests that evolution in a direction reducing the frequency and annoyance of the dialogues is a possibility. How well will the current implementation of the trust bar work in practice? Only experimentation can tell. <clears throat> That's interesting. I, I actually don't think that I've used the, uh, the trust bar. Um, I, I haven't seen that. I'll have to look into it. I, I'm, I wonder if it's still a thing, huh? Uh, okay. Um, moving on, uh, the pet name markup language. PNML is an XML proposal for using pet name systems ubiquitously. In a chat system, if Bob made a reference to Alice in the text he wrote to Ted, and if Alice is Bob's pet name for a person known to Ted with the pet name Carol, the sent reference to Alice would be converted via the magic of computers into a received reference to Carol. It would, take no, it would take more effort to build PNML into an existing browser than to integrate the Waterkin pet name toolbar, but the results would be interesting indeed. Hmm. Uh, conclusions. Many informal experiments with systems identified here that use parts of a pet name system have demonstrated that they can be intuitive and easy to use. Buddy lists, browser bookmarks, the pet name toolbar, and the CapDesk and Polaris secure desktops. A user who understands his pet name or her pet name system is alert to the information it conveys and can be extremely hard to trick using mimicry, making that user a difficult target for phishing. Experimentation is required to determine how much less vulnerable to phishing the typical user would become given a pet name system. Experimentation with pet names for web browsers do not have to be expensive. Both the trust bar and the Waterkin pet name toolbar are ready now both for usage and for further experimentation by building variations based on the open source code. Implementation notes and requirements. Following your key features of a pet name system. If an implementation of a naming system for an application does not include these properties, it is not fully following the logic of pet names. The key must be resistant enough to forgery to survive in the context of the application threat model. There can be at most one pet name per key used per application. There can be at most one key per pet name per user per application. In the application user interface, all references to the key are represented by the pet name. The user must be able to assign a private pet name to any key. The pet name must be assigned to the key only by explicit user action. The user must be able to repeatedly edit the pet name of any key. The user interface shall assist the user in assuring that two pet names are not similar enough to enable mimicry to the extent necessitated by the complexity of the application context in which the pet names are selected and manipulated. If the number of pet names needed by the application is small and they are easily remembered, no assistance may be required. If the number of pet names is large and or difficult to remember and or likely to be similar, and the resultant forms of mimicry, accidental or intentional, leads to vulnerability inside the threat model, assist, assistance is required. Nicknames and alleged names must be unambiguously visually distinct from pet names. 
And lastly, nicknames are optional. And lastly, there's a little glossary. Uh, pet name system is a naming system in which for every individual entity recognized by another entity, the three interlocking names uh, solve Zuko's triangle. The three elements are the key, the, which is global and secure, the nickname, global and memorable, and the pet name, secure and memorable. Hmm, the nickname, right, okay. Um, pet name. Uh, this term has three distinct but related usages in the literature on pet names. Sometimes it's used as a shorthand for referring to the pet name system as a whole. Sometimes it's used as a direct reference to the naming element that is secure, memorable, and private to the individual who refers to another entity. That is, uh, this is the meaning used throughout this paper. Sometimes pet name is used to refer to the textual component of a pet name, which may have graphical elements as well. In context outside this paper, the reader must ascertain the correct interpretation from the context. True pet names are two-way associative. Given a pet name in a specific application on a specific machine, you can acquire the key, and given the key, you can acquire the pet name. The mapping back from the key to the pet name is always performed when representing data to the user. This makes pet names different from Lambda names, which only map from the name to the key. Pet text. A pet name or part of a pet name that is textual. The owner of a machine upon which a pet name resides can edit the text to modify the pet name. Oh, okay. I, I think I was usually calling pet names or calling pet text pet names. And then there's pet graphic, a pet name or part of a pet name that is graphical. And you've got pet face, a pet name or part of a pet name that is an image of a human face. Pet faces are intended to exploit the special powers of the human mind for associating purposeful trust with another human. Um, you know, and when you take avatars, you kind of get to pick if your pet graphic is a pet face. Although I guess avatars are usually, um, uh, by this paper's uh, naming, nicknames, because they're uh, proposed by the owner of that uh, identity. Purposeful trust, the type of trust that is needed before a person should empower another entity. Examples, I trust entity X to hold N dollars for me and to perform transfers of that money on my behalf. And I trust entity Y to tell me whether or not to buy a car from entity Z. We speak of purposeful trust to distinguish it from the many other things computer people call trust these days. Certificate authorities, for example, they supply tr quote trust, but certificate authorities do not tell you if you can trust a certificate owner to pick up your garbage or handle your stock portfolio. It's just a generic quote trust. Um, and I'll, I'll just briefly uh, make a nod to the fact that uh, I've used the word purposeful trust in my Twitter uh, bio right now. I think I say that I'm a purposeful trust maximalist. Um, I often think that as a wallet developer, my job is to give people the powers they need to take various forms of digital authority from cryptocurrencies uh, to other powers that you might have uh, and carry between applications, um, especially between decentralized distributed applications, and then allowing you to make purposeful acts of trust um, because there is basically no kind of interaction that doesn't have some risk. There's always some kind of at least revealing your address to the site or uh, signing a transaction that is proposed or depositing some funds to it or granting it an allowance or even if you're invoking a function on it, you're at least exposing yourself to the transaction fee and hey, the waste of time. Um, so uh, I, I think of the wallet as a tool for allowing people to be more purposeful with their digital trust. Um, and uh, 
I guess I probably got it from this paper. Um, that's a funny thought. I actually hadn't made that association. Uh, like if you asked me two days ago, I would not have guessed that I got the term from here, but <clears throat> it's not a total surprise. I really like the way that Stigler writes about this stuff. Um, forgery, an exact duplication of a key such that neither human nor computer can distinguish the duplicate from the original. Mimicry, a duplication of a name that is good enough to fool a human being, though not good enough to fool a computer. A famous example is the name PayPal with a one as the final character, which mimics PayPal quite well. The quality of the mimicry of PayPal depends on the ambiguity of the font in use and the alertness of the human reading the message. And as we uh, saw in the examples uh, before, whether or not the system is proactive in warning the user that a name in, in use is uh, similar to one that's already trusted, which seems like a really kind of powerful, a powerfully low hanging tool uh, at hand. Um, and uh, lastly, Lambda names. Names that are memorable, secure, and private, but which only map from the name to the key. Given the lambda name, you can retrieve the key, but given the key, there's no mapping back to the name. Objects in programming languages follow this logic. The programmer gives the object a name in the program, but once compiled, neither the object nor much of anything else knows how to get back to the name. Though this is an imperfect example, since debuggers can indeed map back, bookmarks in browsers are another example. The bookmark maps to a URL, but once you get to the URL, the URL is presented directly to the user, not the name embodied in the bookmark. Consequently, bookmarks cannot help against phishing. And then there's uh, some acknowledgments. Thank you to everyone on the CAF Talk mailing list for your help, especially Ian Grigg for his deliciously relentless criticism, but also notably including David Hopwood, Alan Karp, Mark Miller, Tyler Close, Trevor Perrin, and Charles Landau, each of whom made comments that directly caused modifications to the early draft. Thank you to Amir Herzberg for his assistance in understanding the trust bar. And I think maybe notably absent would be Zuko himself for suggesting the entire scheme. Um, cool. So uh, just, uh, I, I wanted to kind of touch on also, there's another uh, example of this in, in the wild um, that, well, a couple examples in the real world that are worth talking about. Um, so uh, for example, on Discord is, is a popular chat application that I think does a number of things surprisingly well for a, a not end-to-end -end encrypted chat application. Um, they have an interesting thing that's on the spectrum of pet names, but uh, is not a pet name where uh, a channel administrator is able to assign nicknames to people. And so everybody else in a channel will then see the nickname that was assigned by the administrator and not see any other name for the person. And it's this kind of weird hybrid model. It's like a very like local certificate authority thing um, where there's like a local baron in every discord channel you go to and you're basically trusting whoever the admin is of a given channel. Um, another example uh, that's notable and I think was made after this paper was written is Secure Scuttlebutt. Um, Secure Scuttlebutt is a decentralized social network that uses, it's truly peer to peer uh, and it uses um, uses pubs. It's very similar to ActivityPub in that um, since many user devices are not on all the time, there's usually some number of servers that are kind of trusted to replicate user data. And uh, in the most popular interface to secure Scuttlebutt, they use a pet naming system. And it's, it's really cool because when you encounter a new entity, you'll see... Um, oh, I'm trying to think uh, what the first name you see. You might see like the self... Uh, proclaimed a nickname, but then if you click on it, 
you'll actually see all the nicknames and all the all the uh, different. Oh yeah, wait. What's the all the alleged names and alleged images that all of your friends use to refer to that entity? And then you can just click one to agree with one of them, and then subscribe to it, and thus kind of giving your own endorsement to it for your friends. Or you can assign your own name and image to them. And I think that's a pretty cool way to do it. I don't know if you can keep your names and images uh, secret in Scuttlebutt. It's been a little bit uh, since I used it, but um, it was my first exposure to a real working pet name system. And I gotta say it had a really organic uh, growth pattern. I think Scuttlebutt is often um, underappreciated because it's uh, not very visible. Um, it's hard to know how many people actually use it because it is successfully largely peer-to-peer. And because its invite system is very like, um, you know, you have to basically get invited to somebody's social network before you see anybody in the app. Uh, it's got this kind of very private quality where either you're in or you're or you're out. And um, so it's got this kind of uh, very elite, uh, you know, vibe about it. It's made to be a pretty exclusive club, and <clears throat> it's the kind of thing where you can you can start it uh, on your own. Um, you know, you and but then it's just you and whatever friends you recruit that are using it. Um, I think Activity Pub has done a, a bit better at, or you know, a different approach. More Activity Pub users are publishing kind of public feeds to start, kind of inviting uh, people who are looking for an alternative to modern social media to try it out. Um, this is, you know, this is a benefit, and it also probably has challenges because um, it's easier to onboard people into it in a way. Um, but then you also get, you know, potentially more spam or more followers or, you know, reply guys or whatever kind of uh, getting in your mentions. Um, I don't have a strong sense of how big of a problem that is there. Um, and I believe they're just using kind of a, a personally alleged nicknames or actually, oh yeah, when you, so when you, if I remember right, and oh no, uh, <laughs> uh, Chris uh, Lemmer Weber is uh, listening um, sometimes to this, so I, I hope I don't get this wrong. But my understanding is you'll you'll often see the domain that you're reading somebody from, and then their name. Uh, I might have to have them on uh, sometime to talk in more detail about that and their latest project, Sprightly, and how it relates and and how they see it as a evolution um, from those ideas. So, um, anyways, uh, sorry, little little detour and digression there. Um, Naming systems are uh, surprisingly nuanced, aren't they? Um, I think we have become accustomed in Web2 to just letting people kind of race to grab names. And then, you know, basically, ideally, you don't trust names too much, but then people can just message you randomly. And mimicry is always cheap and easy. And um, yeah, I think it's a little unfortunate that we treat mimicry as such a given in the modern web. I think that pet names gives us this kind of model for taking that on head on. But like I said earlier, it's not something you can take on with a modern browser. The modern browser is basically built in a way that makes that not work. Now, I know Stiegler gave some examples, like here are some browser toolbars that give you some pet name like qualities in the browser. But what were they? One was like just it was only good for nicknaming at the uh, at the toolbar level. So, okay, maybe you can give pet names for websites themselves. So that could reduce phishing, but a lot of what we interact with on the web these days, it's not a whole different website and domain. We're largely using websites 
uh, to interact with other people, right? That's the whole Web2 thing. You go to Twitter to interact with many other people. So ideally, you would have pet names for every uh, entity on your Twitter timeline. And I, I don't think there's a way in the modern web to allow that kind of pet naming without at least disclosing those pet names to Twitter. Maybe that's just what you got to do. And that's uh, totally acceptable, but um, it is a real trade-off. And it does mean that um, there's an amount of your kind of uh, personal private data that is uh, inevitably going to leak out of modern browsers just, just by their construction unless you're maybe running Tor or running with uh, no scripts on, which I, I think is uh, extremely uncommon these days. Um, so um, yeah, anyways, I hope that this has been an interesting discussion for you. Uh, I hope that you start thinking a little bit about in the systems you use, uh, what names you use to display over things and, and how the names that you choose might be leading users to be more fishable and take some consideration for how you can make your interface uh, help your users become more resilient to phishing and deception. And you know, we'll, we'll all keep on doing our part, uh, learning the best ideas we can to help uh, you know, make, make our users all more resilient to the many, many dangers of the, of the web today. So I'm Dan Finlay. This is Secure UI with Dan. Have a good week.